Thanks, sweetie. Thank you for tuning in to episode 140 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Here's another album in my dad's collection that featured a group of jazz musicians recording an album before playing the same music on live TV days later. This time, the live TV show was a drama about a jazz trumpet player in the 1920s. Several of the musicians you'll hear had speaking parts in the show, as well as playing some great music. So, get ready to hear Ruby Braff as Spencer Lee playing mostly jazz standards in Volume 140, The Magic Horn.
It's George Wine's Dixie Victors featuring Ruby Braff with Strutting with Some Barbecue, written by Louis Armstrong. Okay, why this record for this episode? This album cover image of a lone trumpet player sitting on the bass for one of those large TV cameras from the 1950s had always caught my eye. And like some of the other records I've featured on this show, like The Greatest Trumpet of Them All and The Greatest Horn in the World, I thought this was another pronouncement of a musician having a magic horn. Of course I was wrong, but that's what's so right about me. <laughs> the music on it has a fresh feel from some of the more mainstream artists I've featured here before, and I really like some of the treatments of tunes I've heard many times before. It's a great group of relatively unknown but very talented musicians brought together for this project. Most of the songs you'll hear here are standards. Well, except for the title track. It's the title track from the show and the album, The Magic Horn, written by Ben Ross. Okay, let me tell you about my dad's vinyl I have chosen for this episode. 
George Wines, Dixie Victors, featuring Ruby Braff, The Magic Horn. It's on the RCA Victor label, number LPM1332. It's a vinyl LP album mono format released in 1956. Its genre is jazz, stage, and screen, and its style is Dixieland. Now, what's interesting is that even though the title says the the record features Ruby Braff, (laughs) the front cover only has Jimmy McPartland playing the horn. We will hear six of the nine tunes on this record. Now, there are a ton of liner notes, and I'll be using all of them eventually throughout the episode, and I'll just read the first two paragraphs here. It isn't often that there is the opportunity to ally a jazz record album with a live network television show. Nonetheless, and despite all the unfavorable conditions that somehow seem to prevail, we at RCA Victor learned sometime in advance that George Wine, the impresario of Boston's famed Storyville Jazz Club, was putting together a jazz band for the Alcoa Hours dramatic presentation on NBC television Sunday evening, June 10th, 1956 from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Mr. Wine was quickly contacted, and a recording date was set with exactly the same band, plus two, for Sunday, May 27th. It wasn't the ordinary kind of record session, just as the magic horn wasn't the ordinary kind of TV presentation. The only thing we knew before going into the studio at 3 p.m. for sure was that the musicians would all show up on time, and that it was very likely to be a crackerjack of a jazz band. So it was, and this recording is all the testimony that is needed. The musicians hit upon the tunes they wanted to do, the same tunes generally played later on TV. The routines were set, and engineer Ray Hall got the balance he so desperately wanted, and then we just rolled the tape machines. Little, if any, editing had to be done when the musicians flooded into the control room for a last playback at 10 p.m. Okay, let's see what prices this record is being sold at on Discogs.com. $7 for the highest, $0.50 for the lowest, for a $2.27 average and a $1.77 median. It was last sold on June 30th, 2023 for $0.99. And I found it on eBay from $12 to $16. And the search said Amazon had one for $76.98. But when I clicked on the link, there was no album there. I couldn't find it anywhere else on Amazon. My dad's record is in fair condition. Not too much crackling between the tracks and almost none during the music. The surface has the normal little markings and scratchings that almost all records pick up over time, especially if they were used on that automatic changing spindle. The cover is in poor condition. There's a little wear where it was pulled on or off the shelf as it slid past the other records, but it has a major split along the top and the bottom edges, almost begging for my dad's black electrical tape to hold it together. There's no address label on the front, but the green magic marker is present on the back. So I think I'll value my dad's vinyl at 50 cents. Okay, let's get out those wah-wah mutes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Loveless Love, written by W.C. Handy. Okay, here's where I usually do the bio, but since this record is kind of unique, I'll tell you who was in the band and a little about the atmosphere of the recording session and the show. The creative director, music director, and on piano was George Wine. Banjo player was Danny Barker. Ernie Sakaris was on baritone saxophone, and Bill Stegmeyer was on clarinet. The other musicians also had speaking parts. On drums was Buzzy Druton as Bido Wee Smith, a famed jazz drummer. On bass, Milt Hinton as Woosh Johnson. Peanuts Hucko was on clarinet, and he played the Greek. On trombone was Vic Dickinson as Stromberg Harris. On trumpet was Jimmy McPartland as Jambo Reader and Ruby Braff as Spencer Lee on the other trumpet. And we'll hear in a few minutes that this was a lead role. Now, here's more about the show from the back cover. It was a purely improvised jazz that was played for this record as it was played 14 nights later for the Magic Horn. All of it good and some of it truly inspired. There were moments of rare humor, as when, after Ruby Braff's extraordinary coda to On the Sunny Side of the Street, he stepped back and said, I don't much care what goes on throughout the tune, but I sure am fussy about endings. <laughs> he was kidding, of course, and it brought down the house. Vic Dickinson, that superb trombonist, looked up once and in all seriousness asked how he could get one of the RCA Victor Little Doggies. You know, Little Nipper. Here was a jazz band that was in wonderful spirit. Eight and sometimes nine men all improvising together to the best of their abilities, creating new versions of some perfectly splendid old jazz thoroughbreds. It is music, no doubt about that, and just how good is for each of you in your own way to say as you listen to the selections. No one called a halt to the proceedings because a certain number of seconds had been run down. If the musicians were not satisfied with the way they played something the first time, they went ahead and did it again. Everyone agreed when it was over that it had been terrific fun while the director and writer of the TV show displayed smiles from ear to ear as their confidence in the various musicians was confirmed over and over again. That must have been very interesting. Okay, now for a tune I was unfamiliar with, but took a liking to within a few moments of the needle dropping. Thank you. 
And there was The Monday Date, written by Carl Hines and Sid Robink. Time now for this episode's interesting side note. And it has to do with the plot of the Alcoa Hour TV drama called The Magic Horn. The Alcoa Hour is an American anthology television series that was aired live on NBC from October 16, 1955 to September 22, 1957. But I got the rest of this information from that back cover. Going back to the beginning for a moment, the magic horn came into existence because there was the opportunity and because there is a writer named Herman Rocher. He writes about the magic horn this way. There have been many legends about the great southern jazz man who brought their New Orleans music to Chicago. Legends though they may be, there is still an element of mystical truth to every one of them, as undeniably real as 32 bars of driving trumpet. The tale of Spencer Lee can be termed typical of the so-called jazz fables that took hold in the 1920s, for his band, the River Boys, had its roots in the Mississippi Delta, even though its branches stretched to the north, east, and west. Spencer's story, The Magic Horn, was written only to reestablish in the minds of those who chanced upon it the throbbing legacy of American Dixieland jazz. And though Spencer Lee and Tommy Angelo and Billy Hepburn and Jambo Reeder and all the others never actually lived, the music that they personify seems to never die. Like most legends, at least one question remains unanswered. Did Spencer Lee really have a magic horn? If you choose to conduct an argument on a logical level, you must answer no. But if you have ever heard a jazz band play, if you have ever watched the musicians themselves collectively lost in the compulsion the compulsion of their own music, well, you may not choose to argue at all. You may choose to just look and listen. By the way, the Magic Horn also starred a couple of regular actors, Ralph Meeker as Billy Hepburn and... Salminio, a name you might have heard, as Tommy Angelo. Okay, now for a great version of one of my favorite standards.
Nice, soft ending. On the Sunny Side of the Street, written by Jimmy McHugh and Dorothy Fields. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. As you can tell, and I've told you before, my dad loved his jazz, especially Dixieland. This was a fine band put together with some talented musicians plying their craft. And while I was unfamiliar with most of those playing, although I did recognize a couple of musicians that have been in the bands featured on this show before, I can honestly say this is now one of my favorite finds from my dad's collection. I know I will be listening to it often now. This record came out just after my dad graduated from high school, so I'm sure he played it a lot then. I'm not too sure how much he pulled it off the shelf after I and my siblings came around a few years later, but boy, am I glad he had it in his collection. Now, to finish this episode off with another song written by Satchmo.
Dipper Mouth Blues, written by Joe King Oliver and Louis Satchmo Armstrong. And there you have selections from what could be called a made-for-TV band. So thanks for tuning into Volume 140, The Magic Horn, however you do. If you want more information about this show, head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops for Volume 141, Conniff Memories. Until then, go with the flow, my friend.